Predictions are dangerous. We absolutely need more inventory. The Fed doesn't actually have a lot of tools to regulate inflation. That cash has dried up. Wow, is my first thought, Bruce. If both parties don't win, it doesn't happen. The Real Look. Trending News. Today is Wednesday, February 22nd. I'm Bruce Hardy. And I'm Chase Williams. And we're coming to you live from Family Reunion, actually, Keller Williams Family Reunion, in Anaheim, California. So, Chase, this has been a very cool, high-powered week. What are some of the ahas that you've had, or what are the takeaways that you've picked up this week? First, I want to say, Bruce, that it couldn't be better timing for an event like this for the eleven to 13,000 realtors and guests that are here and vendors. And I think we know why, right? It wasn't that many months ago where <laughs> we started to experience a very different market than the one we've been in for the last 10 years. Right. And while I think every family reunion is incredibly valuable in terms of the information and the knowledge and the collaboration, this one's really well-timed. We're going to have to act differently. We're going to have to think differently. We're going to have to compete differently in order to win in the new market that we're already in and going to probably be in for a while. You know, that was one of the things just I felt encouraged by the timing of the message. But, you know, we were able to put some numbers to what we've been experiencing over the last, you know, call it six to nine months. Yep in terms of data. And then with that data, decide what we want to do to combat that, right? Or what we want to do to win in the midst of that. For example, I didn't realize that it was the second largest one-year drop in recorded history of number of units. Here we had this banner year the year before. And matter of fact, 2022 started off still a banner year. Stellar, yes. But it didn't take too long before felt like we really went off a cliff. And so to kind of quantify that was like, okay, yep, that's validating of what it felt like, right? Yeah, last time we saw a drop like this was actually back in the Great Recession. That's right. And it did feel like falling off a cliff. If you as a realtor have felt like, oh my gosh, what just happened? Well, that's validation. It did happen quick. And in fact, you know, they're forecasting for this year that we will see somewhere between 4 and 4.2 4.3 million homes sold. Now that's off of 5 million homes sold last year. And then, oh, 6.1 million the year before. That's right. Right. Which again puts us in the same sort of territory that we saw in the last Great Recession. I think what's interesting about that is it's different than the last recession. Very different. And one of the pieces that's different, Bruce, and maybe this was a little good news sprinkled on top of challenging news, was even though units are predicted to be down dramatically. Yes. And I believe that will be the case. Because prices aren't moving down very dramatically yet and may not because of kind of a shortage of inventory, the dollar volume that's likely to still be sold with fewer units is still going to be one of the handful of the best years ever. Yeah, potentially the third best year ever for sales volume. Yeah, and we get paid on sales volume in the commission world. Like I said, it was kind of a ray of sunshine and some maybe dark news if you want to think of it that way. Because there's enough commission dollars out there for an individual agent to make as much as they want. The way they might need to make it is the big difference. And I wrote a quote down here, and I'm pretty sure it was from Gary, although I didn't write his name next to it, is he said, the only shortage is your effort. Yes. And I thought, wow, what a great way to look at the opportunity that still exists, even though units would be lower. So that's the dichotomy, right, of this market. We're going to have potentially the third best year ever in sales volume, which, of course, translates to commission. And yet we're seeing basically a 30% drop from the height of units. Now, the challenge with that is 
you could absolutely make more money in 2023 than you did in 2022, but that means you have to get your unfair share of the market. The challenge is we have 1.6 million realtors. Now, the last time we were in this predicament, we had less than 1.2 million. Right. Right. So it means that uh, we are at a historic low for the average number of units per agent. That's right. And in fact, if we look historically, the mean water level is about 10 transactions per agent. We're now at a place as of last year of 6.4. Yep. What that means is, is there are fewer deals per agent available. And I think the message was really well delivered and well received, certainly by the 10,000 odd people in the room. And that is, is that you're going to have to double down. This is going to be a hard year. Yep. Doesn't mean it has to be financially devastating, but it's going to be a hard year and you're going to have to work. It can be one of the hardest years you've ever experienced and you could still have the most success you've ever had in a year. Both those things can be equally true at the same time, right, Bruce? And it's important for us to remember that there's a few other things that are different about this time than the last recession we saw. And one of the facts that Jay actually shared on stage was that the average FICO score or credit Mm -hmm. score of buyers right now is around 770, which is an incredible score, Bruce. That's, yeah. And and that's a stark contrast to what happened back in 2006, 7, and 8 when we were giving loans out to people who frankly didn't qualify for them in so many ways, right? We had kind of stretched the gray area so far that anybody with a heartbeat could get a loan, whereas now well-qualified people are buying homes. Mm -hmm. And we've covered on this program ad nauseum the amount of equity that exists in a vast majority of those homes that have been bought over the last several years. So I don't think we're going to see a big surge of short sales and foreclosures. It doesn't mean there'll be none, but we're not faced with the same level of quote unquote crisis as we were last time. We are faced with a similar level of challenge for the realtor, as you just shared, based on some of those numbers. Well, and we talked about this last week when we reported the news, right? Who are the forced sellers in a market, right? right? Back in the last recession, it was the homeowner, was overleveraged, became unemployed, had to dump their houses. And now the iBuyer is being the forced seller. Even if they had to sell everything they have, it's still a small percentage of the market. So it's not going to unduly affect the market nationally. It could locally, but it's not going to do it nationally. I think the other key takeaway for me, Chase, is... You know, we're settling into this range of interest rates for mortgages. It's most likely if we see five, I think that'd be awesome, but we're probably going to be in the six to eight percent range. And I think as a, as a society, we're slowly getting used to that idea. If we are thinking that in the next six months, we're going to see rates come down to three percent, you've got to give up on that one. Gary said he believes we won't see it in our lifetime again. Won't see three percent interest rates in our lifetime again, may not see four. Could be a while before we see five. And again, it was just a good reset to our thinking around rates because we had a lot of data that we covered more than we could probably go into here around why it's still important to buy a home over the long term. And one of the big reasons and takeaways for me was it helps you lock in your cost of living, right? So if you're waiting around for 3% interest rates, all you're doing is delaying the opportunity to build wealth you're delaying the opportunity to lock in your cost of living because we know that ain't going down over Mm -hmm. the long term. Yep. Again, a good reminder of how to think about what we're experiencing versus how we might feel about it after we just fell off a cliff. Indeed. And even though we know affordability is an issue, right, in this market because high prices, high interest rates, it requires more of a family's income to support housing, right? 
but that doesn't mean it's not the right time to buy a house. Right. We know that if you're going to be hanging on to a home over the long term, you will get your money back. Right. And oh, by the way, if you're marrying the house, you're dating the mortgage rate. And there is an opportunity when rates do come back down again, which they will eventually. Right. It's just we don't know how long that's going to take. It certainly looks like the Fed is going to have to get more aggressive. I mean, all of these other indicators that are pointing that inflation is being stubborn. The U.S. consumer is doing their job because they're the number one driver of the economy. Mm -hmm. And we know that the number one factor that affects the CPI, the inflation rate, is actually housing. Yeah. So it's it's sort of a it's a mixed bag, right? Either we see things continue to go up, well that just drives inflation up, which means the government has to put more pressure on the economy to slow it down. And they will. And they will. Yeah, they have to. Inflation's the biggest threat to democracy. That's what Gary reminded us of. So if you're wondering how the government will act, you don't have to. If they can't get a handle on inflation, they'll continue to jack up the cost of money. They'll do whatever it takes to slow inflation down to protect our democracy, right? And again, you can argue about how much they should do and how fast they should do it, but it'd be hard to argue that they shouldn't be protecting the democracy. This conversation around affordability, it affects the different demographic groups in our country differently, mm -hmm. right? One of the things we know is that student debt is at an all-time high. And certainly that hurts the younger home buyers, right? Those first-time home buyers, it limits their ability to borrow additional money to get into housing. And yet, you know, we've got a lot of baby boomers who are now coming to that age. And we saw in some of the data that came from the National Association of Realtors, it was actually the number four reason why people move is to downsize, yep. right? And, and that would speak to that demographic that's getting older and looking to downsize and move into retirement. I think the other key figures, that, the numbers that we need to take a look at, right? What is impacting the economy? We know that GDP took a hit with COVID. The goal there is that should be around 2 to 3%. That, that's great. So it's going to be interesting to see what those numbers look like this year. The unemployment rate, I mean, we're historically low unemployment numbers. In fact, for all intents and purposes, we're fully employed. Yeah. Anyone who wants to work has a job. And that's a problem for the Fed, right? Because that's driving demand. Now, the other thing that I think is really interesting is we're seeing personal savings rates plummet. Mm -hmm. You know, they rose dramatically during the pandemic and when people were locked down. But they're coming down dramatically. That's a challenge, right, for people who are looking, oh, I, I want to get into housing down the road here. Right. Uh, the other thing, too, is inflation. You know, it's, it's just being stubborn. Again, they're going to have to do something to get inflation down into that 2% range, and they will do everything they can to do it. But I thought this was interesting. If we look at inflation and we break it up by the sectors, since 2000, hospital services have gone up 227%. Mm -hmm. Number two was college tuition, right? And we talked about that. That's what's driving the debt. That's gone up 181%. And then that's followed by college textbooks, which have gone up 163%. I guess knowledge is getting more expensive. I don't know. <laughs> Despite what Google would say about exactly, it. Exactly. And Wikipedia. Medical care services up 132%. Wages, the average hourly wages over that 22-year span is up 104%. What's fascinating is housing is only up 87.1%. Which is less than the percentage of income increase. Over the last 22 years. Yeah, and Gary was having none of this idea that like, I'm, I feel like I'm just working so that I can pay for my house. He's like, well, duh, that's where you live. That's your shelter, right? Like it is going to be a hefty portion of what it costs you to live as it should be. Food and shelter. I thought that was, again, a good kind of reminder. Gary always has a lot of quotes that are like kind of just smack you upside the head if you've been thinking <laughs> yeah. wrong. Yep. 
but he does it out of love because it's like you get into this stinking thinking and all of a sudden it's hard to act in such a way that is in alignment with your goals, right? Whatever that may be, it's perspective, right? It's like, yeah, well, why wouldn't you spend a a large percentage of what you make in order to live in a house, right? And of course, we know the percentage of American wealth that is wrapped up in owning residential real estate is tremendous. And it's still one of the best ways to do that. Absolutely. So it's, it's one of the best ways to build wealth. It's just that this idea of building wealth quickly, right? We all want that. We'd all love to win the uh, billion dollar uh, lottery, right? But uh, again, one in 304 million chance of that. I thought the other thing that was interesting, right, was you see this with these gurus who are on the internet who say, oh, you shouldn't be buying a home, you should rent. You know, it's cheaper to rent than it is to own. I was fascinated to see that they actually did the research and put the numbers to that. And what they discovered was the first two years renting, you'd save more money than buying. But at year three, the scales tip, right? They actually level out about year three. And then if you look at over time, the difference is massive. So if you were renting and investing your savings, right, the difference between that and buying a home, again, this is all based on what you could afford to buy on your income. The differential is about $106,000. Yeah. I mean, that's fascinating. And what we know is that the supply and demand situation that we're in right now is actually driving rents up. When you think about it, Bruce, when the cost of owning the home, the cost of the money to own the home, the cost of the utilities at the home, when all that goes up, eventually the landlords will raise the rent. The cost of rent is equally less likely to to start plummeting anytime soon, right? right? And so why would you want to miss out on that gap in your personal wealth by renting when you could be owning, regardless of what might be happening in the moment. Yeah, absolutely agree with that. We're going to share some of these slides, so it'll give people context. So I really encourage you to see the show notes. What other takeaways have you had? I mean, there have been so many powerful sessions here. Are there any themes that have really stood out to you? Well, I think the obvious one, Bruce, has charged the storm. And there's no doubt we're in a storm. So you can't avoid that part of it, but what you can change is how you react, right? And of course, the the charging the storm is a story about the buffalo moving through it faster. That's the shortest way I can share it. And yet it's a mindset. Everyone comes to these things, me included, looking for some sort of silver bullet or easy button. No matter how many times I come to one of these, I keep hoping I'm going to walk away with one. And then, of course, you ask me my biggest takeaway and it's mindset. It truly is because anything that you need to do differently has to start first with thinking differently or being reminded of how you used to think, right? Good reminder of, hey, we're in a storm. What do we do? Well, we double down. We charge the storm. We move through it quicker. We take advantage of the opportunity that provides rather than hunkering down, which is actually quite the opposite. That's done out of fear. It makes you a victim. And oh, by the way, you're just going to have to feel the storm for a lot longer than those that are charging through it. And who wants that? right? So that truly is my biggest takeaway. Yeah. On top of that, and I agree with you 100%. I mean, we do have to double down on our efforts, our activities in order to get the results that we want. The other thing that I've heard over and over and over again from panels with top producers on them, our keynote speakers, is relationships Mm -hmm. and how important the relationships are now. I mean, we need to get deep with our sphere of influence and the relationships that we have with that group, because that's what's going to help us get through this as we go forward. Yep, It's a storm. I'm frankly quite excited about it, but I'll be honest with you, it's going to be hard. And you're starting to see that show up in some of the NAR numbers too, Bruce. The NAR membership's gone backwards 
about 50,000 in the last 60 days or so. And that's going to continue, in my opinion. Law of equilibrium says it will as commission dollars, right, continue to wane. And by the way, not as bad as we thought. Yep. And yet you can't wait that long. Mm-hmm. You can't wait for enough realtors to get out of the business in order for it to feel like the storm has passed. You won't make it either. And so you've got to get into action, got to get into motion. I've heard this over and over and over again. I teach this, but the four laws of lead generation, right, really come to the fore. Law number one, build a database, pure and simple. And, you know, people ask me, Chase, what CRM do I recommend? And I would tell you that the one I recommend is the one you would use, but you have to build a database. And then secondly, you have to feed it every day, right? Because if your database is not growing, it's dying. Yep. Right? It'll shrink in size. And then the third law is you have to communicate with it in a systematic way. So what are your systems behind the scene that actually drive your systematic communication with your database? And then finally, law number four is you service all the leads that come your way. That's one of those truths, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's like gravity. It's a law of nature. If you don't sure. do that, you won't maximize your opportunity. In other news, Chase, and again, this is sort of along the line of a lot of the conversation we've had around you know, affordability and getting people into housing. It was a study that was done by a housing expert, Dr. Elliot Eisenberg, and he wrote that from 1976 through 1979, right, so basically a three to four-year period, 418,000 entry-level single-family houses were built each year, 418,000. That was 34%, by the way, of all new homes constructed. Now, in the 1980s, that number fell to an average of 314,000 per year, which, by the way, was 33% of all new homes built. Then in the 90s, it shrank to just 207,000 homes a year. And in the 2010s, that dropped to about 150,000 homes a year. Now, during the last completed decade, starter homes have averaged just 55,000 per year. That is basically 7% of all new residential bills. What's going through your head? Let me see if I can answer that with another question, Bruce. If I'm a home builder and I have to choose the type of home I'm going to build, right? Mm -hmm. Starter home, middle of the road home, large home. Why would I choose to stop building starter homes? because there's a greater economic opportunity for you in more expensive homes, right? Because you're building in a margin. Sure. So, you know, if you're building a $100,000 house and you've got a 30% margin, well, that'd be a $130,000 home. But if you're building a $500,000 house and you've got a 30% margin, well, guess what? You know, you're making $160,000, $180,000. So you have to follow the money. There's no doubt, no doubt about that. Yeah, we, we can feel about that or we can just understand it's the system that we work in, a capitalist system, right? So mm-hmm. if I'm a builder and I moved away from starter homes because there's more money in the other homes, then what do we do about it as a country? What do we do about the impact, negative impact, I would argue, that that has on those looking to become first-time homebuyers, for example? What are our options? Well, I think it comes to regulation. I'm a big fan of uh, Tom Wheelwright. He's written several books. One is Tax-Free Wealth. You know, what Tom says as he talks about taxation is that the federal government uses taxation as a way to encourage our country to behave in a certain way. And what I mean by that is they give you incentives, right, to behave in a certain way. For example, we actually get a tax interest reduction for buying and owning a home. 
right? The government wants us to own homes. Correct. But what they're doing is not enough with regards to regulation to actually encourage builders to provide more product, right, more supply, because we know the demand is out there. It's a government issue, I think, Chase, that's going to actually have to influence all of this. Unless they offer tax incentives for builders to go and focus on that category, there's no reason for them to go there. And then that means this situation just gets exacerbated. I think you're 100% right, Bruce. And I know that this can be a controversial topic. And yet you realize that most of these folks are simply doing what they should do in order to feed their families well. And that's going where you can make more money. So until you make it equally attractive to them to build starter homes again, right, which is going to be some sort of incentive and maybe some sort of pretty hefty incentive, they're not going to. And there's really no other way to make them to. And how can you ask them to? Right. So I think you're right. I think that's a big problem for affordability, for first-time homebuyers, and for you know developing wealth and homeownership. Incentive's the way to do it. I couldn't agree more. Whether it's controversial or not, it works. And we cannot not do it. We want to get more people into housing. So that's the news you need to know. Don't miss this Friday's Northern Lights episode where we'll interview April Florzik with Keller Williams Realty Boise in Boise, Idaho. Thanks again for tuning in with us on The Real Look. This podcast is produced by Marissa Frost. Visit kwnwr.com to access the show notes from today's episode. Head over to Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts to subscribe to The Real Look. And don't forget to leave us a review. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back next week with a breakdown of all things real estate.